And we need to see the gospel, we need to see the word of God triumph in our society, in our nation, and around the world. And for that, Christians pray. That's why we give ourselves to pray. This is a great focus of prayer. Lord, we want to see your kingdom flourish and your great uh, church built up. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. We're turning to the Psalm 6 for our opening devotional. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, Deliver my soul, O oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. This Psalm 6 is about soul sickness. In the verse 4, you have the cry, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. We need to define David's trouble. It was soul sickness. Deliver my soul. David was going through deep conviction of sin which is a horrible crucible for a child of God to be in. This is the first of the penitential psalms, and it's a valuable psalm to study to assess what true repentance is and how God's children endured deep sorrow of heart because of their failures, their follies, and their sins, which the worldly knows nothing about. There are depths of soul which a hard, carnal heart will laugh off. This is the sensitive soul, which has been pierced by a sight of his own guilt and by the bitterness of God's departure. Now, if you're in that crucible today, I trust that this will be a word for your heart, that you might go to this Psalm 6 and there not only see the grief that sin causes and the pain that it brings to the human heart, but that there is a way of mercy. You'll notice the prayer, the confession of David, return, O Lord. Now, this is a confession of a departure from God. He senses God's rebuke. These are the thorns of deep conviction that pierce the believer's soul when sin enters. These are voices of God's Spirit speaking to warn and reprove. Now, this, of course, is the piercing of God's Word. In Hebrews 4.12, we read that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder the joints and marrow. The Word of God just takes us apart, exposes our inner sins, and brings us to confess our need of cleansing. We could say that these are the arrows which go right to the heart of God's children. And God, in that sense, is speaking against us. But it does not mean that God is against us, but rather that he will reprove us for our good. It also brings the confession of a loss of spiritual power. It talks here about vexation. For my bones are vexed, said David. 
Now, this is a state of agitation of soul. It is to tremble instead of rest in the Savior's love. Look at verse 3. It says, My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Now, conviction of sin or soul sickness is a terrible trial to the child of God. It is a burden that is not easily borne. To live in this state is most unhappy. Joy, gladness, and the song of the believer is lost. You have a further description of this in verse 6. I am weary with my groaning. And my dear friend, if you are in the Christian life today weary, groaning, sensing that God has left you to see your sin, then it's time to return and to pray this prayer of Psalm 6. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul, O save me for thy mercy's sake. And he will. Yes, he will. Sure. 
Right, we're back to the part two of this sermon of the Lord's Prayer, and we're done with the petitions. Then the Lord comes to a story, an account, a situation, or a scenario that He sets up to make these disciples think. And we're looking, of course, at the verses uh, 5 onward, right to the end of our reading there in verse 13, where we have this friend arrives at midnight, he has no food, the friend goes to his friend, and he seeks to get him out of bed to provide some loaves, and he knocks and knocks and knocks, and won't give up until he gets the bread, and then the friend gets up and gives him just as many as he needs, and there is a great lesson in this. Now, praying is a strange business. It is hardly a science. It's certainly not mathematical, but rather it is a matter of the heart. And if you were to ask two biblical, Protestant, mighty men or women of prayer, how do you pray? You probably wouldn't get exactly the same answer. And so it is not a mechanical thing. It's not something you can just lay down the reels and say, get on those reels and you will be a man or a woman of prayer. Now, yet we all have an inclination to pray. And when in trouble, we cry to our God for help. Even atheists, when they're in trouble, feel themselves inclined to call unto God. There are many Jonas who think that they can run from God, and then when they're in the depths of trouble, they cry out. And of course, it is true that even Christians pray a whole lot better when they're in trouble than when there are blue skies all around them. Now, the scenario set up by the Lord could be called a friend seeking bread of a friend for his friend. This is a complex story. And you've got this emphasis upon friendship. Now, as Christians today, we are the friends of God. Isn't that great? And that's the whole basis of our praying. We couldn't even begin to pray if we were not rightly related to God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's because of Calvary, because of the atoning blood, the forgiveness of our sins, and that we are now children of God, that we could even open our mouths and pray, Our Father. And what a privilege, what a blessing it is to be able to call our God our Father and to enter into this life of prayer. Now, being the friends of God, there are many people around us who are filled with their needs. The Lord's Prayer could be said that we are praying much for ourselves, but this part is praying for friends, praying for others. And surely the greatest prayers of the greatest men and women of God are prayers not for I myself, but for others. Praying for others. And you could entitle this whole passage here, uh, verse 5 onward to 13, is how to pray for others. And of course, we go to God to ask 
for them. Prayer is never selfish. Never selfish. Now, this is a real prayer ministry for the hungry. Hungry souls might be a father praying for his family in their spiritual need. It might be a wife praying for her husband who is in great distress about his condition. It could even be a child praying for parents who as yet do not walk with God and live for God. And somehow God has brought a friend into your life, someone that is in desperate need, and you have a responsibility to find bread. Your own cupboard is empty, and you have to cry out for help. I hope you get the picture here. I hope you see the purpose. We're going to look at also the principle, and then we'll end with the practice in this whole scenario, this account of praying for a friend in need. Now, the purpose of this account of prayer is to encourage, to encourage us from giving up. When the Lord finished uh, relating here this Lord's Prayer, he said unto them, which of you having a friend? And he gives them this whole story, this whole account. And of course, the danger is that we give up so quickly. And we feel, well, there's no point in this. It doesn't work. It doesn't produce anything. And one of the best encouragements is to realize that prayer is the institution of God. It is not man's provision. It is God's provision. And if we think for one moment that man's persistence, man's energy will wring out of the heart of God something, well, we have missed the whole point of praying. And if we do that, we'll be discouraged. Our praying will have no wings. Maybe that's the state you're in today. You're just discouraged in your prayer life. And it seems that every time you try to pray, you come to the conclusion this is not worthwhile. There is no benefit in this at all. Well, the Lord gave this whole account, this whole situation of a friend going to a friend for bread at midnight, and he triumphing, triumphing in this, getting that bread. And then the Lord says, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be given unto you. Now, this has been called the Magna Carta of prayer, or what Mr. Spurgeon would call the blank check. Ask, and ye shall receive. It doesn't say what you're to ask. Seek, doesn't tell you what you're seeking. doesn't say how you're knocking or where you're going. But if you come to God, there are these three shalls. Now, you'll note the breadth of these assurances. There is no limitation. Ask, ye shall receive. Seek, ye shall find. Knock, it shall be given unto you. There is great breadth here. And you might think, but my needs are too great. My needs are, are, are endless. Well, we come to the one who gives us this great charter of prayer. I also want you to notice the depth to this 
trio of asking, seeking, finding, because these words are prefaced with the Lord's own statement, I say unto you. I say unto you. Now, that means this is not just a principle. This is not just a dead, flat rote of uh, a mechanical performance. Here is the Lord himself, your Savior, the one that you've trusted for your salvation. He is the shepherd of your soul, and he says to you, ask, seek, knock, and these things will be given unto you. Now, if these assurances or promises were given to you by the queen or by the prime minister, you would say they're not worth the paper they're written on. What interest does the queen have in me? I'm one of her subjects, but she doesn't even know me. And our prime minister, uh, we may have great respect and regard, but he's got so much in his mind, and how could he ever attend to fulfill such requests in my life? Now, remember here, this is the Lord himself, the creator of the world. He is the one who redeemed us by his blood that is infinite, and his interest in you is omniscient. He's all-knowing, and he cares. I say unto you. So this is the checkbook for your faith. Now, these are not mere principles. I want you to get this in your mind. I despise a religion or a prayer life that's just following principles. A principle is a dead, cold, clinical, laboratory effort. But the word of our Lord is his own promise behind every request that we ask. Now, the purpose of this scenario was to show us and to encourage us to pray for others. Personal prayers are suspect. If your prayer life is just about me, and my needs. Now, I know every one of us have personal needs and personal cares and personal issues, and we take them to the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. We can go to the Lord with him. But if that's the sum total of your prayer life, it will peter out. Much, so much of the Christian's prayer life is for others. Because remember, it is our Heavenly Father. This is the church at prayer. This is the people of God corporately, the children of God pleading with our Heavenly Father for one another and for those in desperate need. Just as this man, man traveling came at midnight, there was no bread in the house and he was in need. And he went to find bread for his friend. Do you ever pray for a friend? Do you pray for others? Let me tell you, this was, will revolutionize your prayer life. It gives new purpose. This is not about yourself. This now is a ministry. This is a service. This is a cause that God gives to you, that you can be the means of supplying the need and supporting a friend in all of his or her need. I think of the Sunday prayer meeting or the Wednesday prayer meeting in our church. If you have just a group of self-obsessed, self-centered, self-willed people 
who are only there to get something for themselves. What kind of a prayer meeting would it be? No, the church prayer meeting. And here is the Lord saying to his disciples in the plural, here is how you ought to pray, our Father. And then he gives this situation of the man going to pray for the man in need. Now, the Lord has taught us to pray for our enemies. Yes, there are those who set themselves up to be against us. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for others. And we can be God's instrument of seeking that they be changed, brought to repentance, brought to a new life and a new walk. We're commanded to pray for the souls of men. Are we not exhorted as Christians to pray for the lost? Pray for those that are walking in darkness. This is our ministry. And they are hungry. They are in need of the bread of life. They need the Lord Jesus himself, who is the bread of life. And we're to pray for souls. We're to pray for the servants of God. We're to pray for missionaries. We're to pray for God's workers around the world and to uh, plead with God that he will thrust them forth into the fields that are white unto harvest. And as you pray for others and you pray for the bread of God, for the souls of men, how this will give you a ministry of prayer. Now, do you have that today? That's what we ought to be doing. Notice also that in spite of the hour and interruption, that this man got his three loaves and more. It says in verse 8 that he received as many as he needeth. Now, is that not an encouragement? He got what he needed. Now, there is so much here designed to encourage us in our praying. There is a good reason to ask, to seek, to knock. And, of course, there is great blessing in this. So, what's this about? The Lord wants you to throw away your doubts about the value of prayer. Throw away any misgivings you have that God does not work in his church by the means of prayer. This is how he does work. And see the fire that the Lord lights under these disciples when he teaches them how to pray. He gives them this urgency, this situation that they might rise to see what their prayer life and ministry is to be about. Now, how did they fulfill it? Think of these disciples later on in life. What kind of praying men did they become? Did they take to heart what the Lord taught them? Well, if we enter into the prayer meetings that we read of in the book of Acts and in the New Testament church, we find that they were mighty, mighty prayers for God. So here is the purpose of this whole scenario that the Lord teaches us about this man going to his friend for bread, receives the many loaves that he needed. It's all to encourage us to pray. And surely we need that because we are inclined to give up so quickly. We're inclined to pray, go once to the prayer meeting, and then stop. Or in our own private lives, 
Maybe in the new year we say, well, and this year I'm going to pray more. And you start, and then somewhere along the way you give up. Here is a word to encourage us to pray through. Now, I come now to the principle of this account for prayer. What is the big issue? And the big issue here that I see is that God is willing and ready to answer prayer. There is absolutely no reluctance, no hesitancy in the heart of God. Now, let's not get the wrong idea. This man that was in bed at midnight, to whom the friend went off to find loaves for his other friend, that man in bed does not represent the Lord. That man who said, trouble me not, I cannot rise and give thee. That man that he had to knock and knock and knock and knock and knock to get him to come and give him bread. That does not represent the God whom we serve and the one who answers prayer from us. Because our God loves to answer prayer. Now, the Bible teaches that over and over and over. His ear is ever open to the cry of the righteous. God is the one who continually delights to hear the cries of his people. And I want to draw to your attention a number of big contrasts between this man in bed, who was reluctant, and the Lord himself. Firstly, God never sleeps. God never sleeps. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. And if you have a waking hour in the middle of the night, you can get up and pray. Because God is never asleep. And he will never say to you, I'm in bed, don't disturb me. This is totally different. God is never rude to drive us away. There is no place in all of the Bible where you have men or women or a church going to God in prayer and God saying, look, get away. Don't disturb me. God is never reluctant to give. This man said, trouble me not. God will never say that to you. Never. God will never say to you, trouble me not. In fact, God wants you to trouble him. You are the Lord's remembrancer. He says, call unto me in your time of trouble, and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things. And so God wants us to go to him. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. 
We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway, on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.